Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. Isaiah 1.18, if you have your Bibles with you this morning. Hallelujah. I'm very excited uh, uh, to be back. It's been... Uh, as your pastor said, him in a year and a half. I'll tell you what, though, uh, the church feels totally different. Not, uh, not that it didn't feel good the last time I was here. It felt outstanding. But, man, you can just feel revival in this place. Hallelujah. It feels good. I'm excited to be here. I'm very honored, as always. Amen. I count this uh, very high privilege, amen, to be able to minister, especially behind this pulpit. Amen. For those of you that don't uh, know me, uh, very honored, amen, to say that I come from Richard Ruby's church, San Antonio, Texas. It's my pastor, amen, got discipled there uh, for three and a half years, got sent out, went and uh, pioneered there in Victoria, Texas for four years and have been evangelizing now uh, for two years. And God has just been powerfully moving, as your pastor said, uh, just in the two years, I've seen well over 18,000 people give their life to Jesus and uh, well over 12,000 get filled with the Holy Ghost, Amen. It's been a powerful, powerful time. Just came from London, amen. I was sharing with your pastor a couple of weeks ago. We had 147 people get filled with the Holy Ghost in five days. And uh, you know what, folks? We're living in the last days. And God, uh, amen, is looking for a people that are hungry. He's looking for a people that want revival. And I'm excited to be here this morning, amen, because I can tell that you want revival, amen. And so I'm excited. I'm also getting thirsty, and so I'm going to ask you to forgive me as I take a drink. Uh, wrong bottle, I guess. I had already opened mine. My wife says that when the bottle is clear in the bottom, not to face the crowd. Because in the bottom of the glass, my lips look like this. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but we don't want to scare any visitors this morning. <sighs> Thank God for godly wives. Amen. I want to read you, amen, something this morning. I want to preach on the power of conversions. I like to preach on salvation, amen, the very first service of my revivals, amen, and get the church stirred to believe God for what he's going to do during the week. And so I want to read you this story. Uh, Howard Cato was born in 1884, and he uh, went to be with Jesus in 1942. The story says that he was the black sheep of four children in a Christian family who started drinking at the age of 12. He became addicted to alcohol, gambling, and adultery, becoming known as the slot machine king in much of the Midwest because of his gambling enterprises. He attempted to murder a man, only narrowly escaping the penitentiary, broken in finances, health. He finally hit bottom, rock bottom, and he returned home and collapsed into his mother's arms, saying these words. He said, Mother, I'm tired of my sin. I've broken your heart. I've betrayed my own wife and children. I've broken my marriage vows. 
I'd like to be saved, but I've sinned too much. His mother replied, son, I've prayed for 12 years to hear you say what you have just said. Getting out her Bible, she turned to our scripture this morning, Isaiah 118. She read to her son, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your, sons be, though your sins be as scarlet, um, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, uh, they shall be as wool. On that morning, March 14, 1914, uh, E. Howard Cato was powerfully converted. Uh, he later became a powerful and uh, popular evangelist uh, and radio preacher. I want to preach, beloved, amen, on the power of a conversion this morning. Because how many know, amen, that we live in a very religious generation? Everybody we talked to, amen, no doubt, when you were outreaching yesterday, you ran into people in an entire apartment complex that was saved. They got a beer in their hand, a cigarette in their mouth, and they're cussing out their wife and children. And, oh, yeah, no, I'm saved. I go to that church. And they always pick the biggest church um, that they hear about. Uh, and in their minds, um, they're right with God. But how many know um, that going to church on Sunday morning doesn't make you right with God? Amen. God has to be able to reach, beloved, into your heart. He has to be able, beloved, this morning, uh, you know what, to touch you and change you. Uh, and how many know you know when you're saved? How many know even other people know when you're saved? You know, you can leave a church service. Uh, I remember when I first got saved, I can't, you know, so many people would come up to me and say, you know, there's, there's something different about you. And it wasn't just that I wasn't ho holding a quart of beer anymore, but uh, there was a glow. There was a, an evidence of Christ uh, in my life, beloved, because that's what happens when you get powerfully converted. Amen. Uh, you don't leave Jesus at the church. You take Jesus home with you. And people can sense that and they feel it and they see you and they notice that you're walking different, you're talking different, you're dressing different. Uh, you're no longer going out and partying, but now you're in church and involved uh, and doing the things of God because you can't help but want to be in his presence when you get converted. You want to live in church. You want to be part of church. You want to, you want to breathe and eat and sleep church because you understand, beloved, that what he did for you on the cross, the very powerful you become a very grateful person. One of the most greediest persons in the world can become so grateful and liberal, amen, when they get radically converted. And uh, how many know there's a fine line between being religious and being converted? That uh, we live in a generation, beloved, amen, where, you know what, a uh, uh, generation of mega churches and, and uh, you know what, they have all these programs and all these systems and all these steps. And, you know, I tried all that stuff before I got saved. Uh, you know, I tried the, the rehab and the programs and I tried the, the 10 steps and the 12 steps. I even tried the Texas two-step, I think, and uh, none of it helped me. But you see, when I came face to face with God... When I admitted uh, that who I was and where I was at that time in my life, uh, see, when I brought that to God, when I offered my sins to God, the only thing that I could offer to him, he took it, turned me into a brand new person, beloved. And I didn't become religious. I became converted. And I like to use this story. I'm sure I used it the last time I was here. But uh, because there's a fine line between being religious and being converted. You know, there's a story about this uh, eight-year-old boy that uh, attended a Baptist church. Is there any Baptist churches here in Chandler? There is some, okay. And so, uh, you know, he attended this Baptist church, and so he had a cat. This cat had little kittens, 
And so he's excited. He calls his pastor. He says, Pastor, you're not going to believe what happened. Uh, our, uh, my cat just had kittens. Uh, and uh, you'll never guess. He says, a miracle happened. He says, they're Baptist kittens. And the preacher says, son, there's no such thing as Baptist kittens. He says, I know. He says, that's why it's a miracle. And so, uh, you know, the, the Baptist preacher hangs up the phone and he calls uh, the Pentecostal preacher down the street at, at the door, Christian Fellowship. They're always arguing about who has greater miracles in their church. And, and so he says, listen, a miracle took place. Uh, uh, one of my boys has a cat uh, and it just had kittens and they're Baptist kittens. And the Pentecostal preacher says, man, you done flipped your mind, man. He says, there's no, there's no such thing as Baptist kittens. He says, I know. He says, that's why it's a miracle. He says, you need to come see this. And so sure enough, they show up where the boy's at. Uh, he's got all the, the cat there, the little kittens. And he says, okay, young, young man, why don't you uh, let this Pentecostal preacher know what kind of kittens those are? And the little eight-year-old boy's embarrassed now. He's got his head down. He says, well, pastor, he says, uh, he says they're Pentecostal kittens. He says, what? He says, three days ago, you told me they were Baptist kittens. He says, yes, pastor, but three days ago when they were born, they were blind, and now they can see Because how many know there's a fine line between being religious and being converted? Excuse me. God said, come now and let us reason together. You know what that word reason means? It means to negotiate. It means to bargain. This is very powerful, beloved, because what in the world do we have to negotiate with God with? God says, listen, I know you're... I know you're full of hatred. I know some of the hatred even might be towards me. You know, I was 11 years old when I lost my father to a heroin overdose. You saw it in the play last night. But, you know, I had a lot of hatred towards God. I felt that God was a murderer. And I felt uh, that, you know what, he had murdered my father. And I shared yesterday how, you know what, everything inside of me wished that it was my mother that had been taken instead of my father. You know, my mother, we had a horrible relationship together. And uh, she hated my guts. I hated hers back. And, uh, you know, we just, we couldn't stand to see each other. Uh, one of the main reasons was because I looked just like my father. My father was very abusive with her. Every time she got drunk, she saw my father and she'd beat me. She'd lock me in the closet. You know, that stuff wasn't made up. I spent four days one time in the closet. Four days. She met a new boyfriend, took off with him on Friday, put me in the closet. Uh, she came back um, on the next week after four days of being in that closet. And, you know, when my father died, my father was a heroin addict, but regardless of what he was, you know, he, he showed me affection. He loved me. And, uh, and when he died of an overdose, uh, you know what, I, I got a lot of hatred towards, uh, towards God because my mother, you know, looked me straight in the face one day, spit in my face, said, you're the biggest mistake of my life. She said, I regret ever having you. Should have aborted you while I had the chance. Um, and, uh, you know, when my father was taken, man, immediately I got hatred towards God. You know what the most amazing thing is? That when, when I got saved, God knew all that about me. And, and he says, let us reason. And the only thing that I had to offer God was my hatred and my bitterness and my anger. And he says, you know what, let's negotiate. I'll tell you what, you give me all of that uh, and I'll give you my son. Now that's, that's a powerful revelation if you can get that this morning. I mean, know oh, the, the gospel's simple and it still works. He said, uh, though your sins uh, be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be 
as wool. This is what separates us, beloved, the Christian from the sinner. See, when you've been converted, uh, you become dependent of the shepherd. Can you say amen? When you've been converted, uh, like I said, all of a sudden, uh, now you want to live in church. You want to serve God out of your heart. Uh, This isn't something that somebody has to twist your arm to do. Uh, You wake up early uh, and you're excited. It's going to be church. Revival's going to start. People are going to get saved. They're going to get touched. Um, The way that I got touched and you're excited and you become dependent um, of the shepherd. Listen, you come in um, uh, looking and smelling like a pig, uh, but you leave uh, white as snow looking like a a nice uh, sheep. Can you say amen? And you become dependent. Uh, and uh, you know what's the great thing? Uh, is that uh, if you fall, you fall in a puddle of mud. Uh, you know what? Jesus Christ gladly, if you ask him to pull you out, will pull you out uh, and wash you once again with his blood. Uh, and you can leave again uh, looking white as snow. But how many know, beloved, amen, that when we're sinners, at least I was, I can speak for myself. Uh, I was like a filthy pig. I was nowhere near a sheep. You know, pigs, you know what's interesting about pigs is, um, you know, you can pull them out of the mud and bathe them. And if you leave them alone for just a couple of seconds, uh, they're going to dive right back in that mud puddle. That, that's what we were like when we were sinners, wasn't it? The moment we were left alone, the moment we were given the opportunity to cheat uh, or to drink or commit adultery or be abusive or perverted. Uh, listen, we were like pigs. You're not going to admit it. I'll admit it, I was a filthy pig. I was a sinner. I was a junkie. I was a pervert. I was a a womanizer. I was a a woman beater. And I brought that to God, and God says, you know what, I'll take all that. I'll take your filthy sin, is what he's saying when he says, let's reason together. He's saying, you know what, Uh, I'll take all that filthy sin, and I'll cover you with my blood, uh, my blood that washes you white as snow. You still believe in the blood? How many believe there's still power in the blood? It can still wash, beloved. It still has the power to touch people and change lives and convert. I don't care how messed up you are. I don't care how far gone you've, uh, you think you've been uh, this morning. Listen, God will bring you back. Uh, he'll touch you. He'll wash you. I was reading a story about this young girl, you know, 18-year-old girl, was a prostitute, uh, uh, you know, just uh, on drugs, um, on meth, uh, all messed up. Uh, and she gets invited to a church service, uh, and lo and behold, she gets radically, radically converted by the power of Jesus Christ. And, you know, she got locked in immediately. She began to want to do something for the church and get involved in ministry, get involved um, in, uh, in helping others and outreaching, she immediately began to tithe, uh, and she began to do everything that a, that a born-again Christian does. But then she began to fall in love with the pastor's son. And the pastor's son, you know, never backslid, uh, raised in church. They're, you know, kind of a, uh, a prized possession. You know, they, they're kind of hoping that he's going to marry somebody the same way. Well, the only problem is the pastor's son likes her back. And so the church, you know what, uh, doesn't agree with this. And when the church hears that, uh, that this couple has set a date to get married, uh, they get outraged, man. They're upset. They hold a meeting with the pastor and his son, and they say, you know what, we're not going to tolerate this. This, uh, this woman, uh, you know what, was a filthy sinner. She was a prostitute, uh, and your son has been raised in church, and that's not the kind of church that we are. The son stood up and said these words. He said, my fiancé's past is not what is on trial here. What you are questioning is the ability of the blood of Jesus to wash away sins. 
Today, listen, today you have put the blood of Jesus on trial. So does it wash away sins or not? Does it wash away sins or not? Hallelujah, you can give the Lord a clap offering this morning. Either it can convert people or it can't. But you don't understand, you know, uh, this and that. Listen, I don't care. Either it works or it doesn't. You know, that word amnesty is the word uh, that comes from a word uh, where we get the word amnesia from. It means to forget. Listen, when God washes away our sins, they are forgotten. We're left whiter than snow and pure as wool. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. See, the problem today is so many people refuse the hand of God. And, uh, you know, the devil can begin to make you think, well, you know what, I've sinned too much, I've done too much, I'm, you know what, there's no way, I've backslidden too much. Uh, and you begin to buy these lies uh, uh, that, you know what, uh, all of a sudden the, the blood of Jesus gets uh, diluted and you no longer believe that it's as powerful as it once used to be. This is why he says in the very next verse of our text, in verse 19, he says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, left to yourself, um, all you're going to do is get filthy, is what he's saying. If you refuse the hand of God, all you're going to do is get stained. You're going to get filthy. How many know we come in stained? We come in bitter, man. How many know you can walk in church bitter? Stained. See, we can't see it behind your tie and your nice dress and your makeup, uh, but uh, God can see it. He don't care about your tie this morning. He cares about your heart. And he can see the stains. He knows that we can come in bitter uh, and angry. I mean, no, we live in a very angry generation. Our youth, man, are angry. They're upset. And, uh, and this is exactly, you know what, at 25, this is all I had to offer God. It was just a, a filthy, stained life. 
And even then, he still said, you know what, let's reason. I'll take what you have. That's the story of my testimony at the, at the age of 15, you know, just an angry kid. If it moved, I'd hit it. Girl, guy, cow, I didn't care what it was. I was mad, I was angry, and I wanted everybody to feel what I felt. You know, if I saw somebody that had a father, the moment that guy was alone, I'd beat him up. Because it wasn't fair that he had a father and I didn't. If I saw somebody had a nice bike and nice things, you know, I used to get, make myself sick sometimes so I could stay at home when we lived with my aunt and my cousin. He was a spoiled kid. He had the father and the mother and he had every toy that I ever wanted. And so one day, I made myself sick. He went to school. They left me there alone. I broke every one of his toys. He had a, a rope with a tire that I always wanted. I cut it. <laughs> because, uh, you know what, man, I was angry. And this followed me. You know what, um, the age of 15, there I am. I'm partying out with some friends. Um, and, uh, and we begin, you know, I mean, no Mexicans, when they drink, they get violent. Right? And, you know, we're drinking, and we begin to get violent. I begin to beat my friend up. Um, and I have him on the ground, and his, his girlfriend decides to jump in. I mean, no Mexican women are real violent, too. And, uh, and she, she tries to get a hold of me, pull me off. I turn around. I hit her, knock her on the ground. I'm popping her. Uh, and then her friend tries to jump in, uh, grab her over my shoulder. I got her on the ground. I'm popping her, too. Somehow they all get up and run out the house. They run down the street where, uh, uh, where he lived in a corner house. Uh, and as he's running down the street, you know, I'm chasing him. It's almost, you know, it's almost past midnight. And there I am. You know, he runs in the house and I'm pounding on this door, man. I'm lit up on acid. Uh, we were playing quarters with alcohol and chasing it down with beer. How I many know when you're a sinner, man? You're a pig. And so, uh, you know, I'm pounding on this door. And his father wakes up and looks through the glass window to see who's outside. As he does that, I punch him through the glass. And so as I pull my arm out, I cut my arm completely in half. I cut it from one end all the way to the other. Immediately my flesh comes undone. My bone, you can see blood is squirting all over the place. And I, I, I reach over, I grab my arm, I take about two steps back. And, and there I am, man, at the age of 15, a puddle of blood. Cost my, my stepfather $32,000. He said, man, you should have hit the tree. <laughs> By the time they gave me to the hospital, I'm declared dead. My first DOA at the age of 15. Dead on arrival, counted dead over six minutes because of blood loss. Put a plastic bodysuit on me, fill it up with air. The pressure brings the remainder of my blood to my heart and my brain. They pump new blood into me and they're able to Bring me back to life like that. And there I go on my, on my journey, man. At the age of 16, I get shot in the head with a 22. One of the few times of having a hard head ever helped my life. <laughs> Bullet hits my skull and ricochets out immediately. At the age of 17, me and my cousin begin to fight over a $10 bag of heroin. Beat him down. He gets up. He goes down the street to his house. He picks up a 45 Magnum. He's coming back to my grandmother's house. He wants to kill me. His mother stands in the doorway, says, you're not coming in here with that gun. He says, mom, get out of the way. I don't want to hurt you. She puts her arms across the doorway and says, I said, you're not coming in here with that gun. My cousin takes two shots at his own mother, blows both of her kneecaps off. My aunt falls to the front yard. I get up. I start running through the house. As I'm running through the house, he's taking several shots, a bunch of kids all over the place. 
I get stuck on the back door, and as I get stuck on the back door, he takes his last shot, hits me right here in the side, blows a big part of my ribs and chunk of my meat off with that gun. Uh, you would think that by this time, you know, I would learn. 19 years old, man, I'm partying out with my best friend. And this is the guy, you know what, that I trust my life with. He's supposed to have my back. He's my homie. I beat him down. He gets up. He runs inside. He grabs the largest kitchen knife that he can find. Actually, it was more like this. My wife said every revival, the knife gets bigger and bigger. She's like, babe, that's a sword, man. That's not. <laughs> There's no kitchen knife. Anyways, amen. <laughs> it was big enough that when he stabbed me, he stabs me half an inch away from my heart. The knife goes through my lung and the point of the knife comes out of my back. Pulls the knife out. He stabs me a second time in my stomach. Pulls the knife out. He's going for a third time in my neck. We wrestle for this knife. We uh, begin to wrestle and there I am at the age of 19. I find myself in a puddle of blood again. Pick me up. They throw me in the backseat of a vehicle. They take me to the nearest hospital. And uh, as they're pulling in through the parking lot, they open the back door and they push me out. They leave, they leave me for dead. Don't tell anybody that I'm there. By the time they picked me up and wheeled me inside, I was declared dead for the second time in my life at the age of 19, over five minutes. By the age of 25, I'm living under a bridge. 14 years off and on on heroin, 51 times in jail. Did every kind of drug, tried to numb myself with every single thing that I could find and get my, my hands on. And there I am at the age of 25, and I'm tired, man. I'm 25 years old, and I look like I'm 50. I'm wasted. My eyes are sunk in. I know what you're thinking, bro. You still look like that. <laughs> I was tired. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I'm fed up, man. And I don't have anything to show for in life except for a broken heart. Bitterness and anger. And I get invited to a church service. Actually, I got invited to stay at a friend's house. Stayed there for four days as he went out of town. What I did was I bought a large amount of cocaine, two brand new packs of syringes, filled up two ice chests with beer, and I locked myself in this house for four days. I started a party on a Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. It's almost midnight. And I'm shooting this drug up. I'm snorting it. I'm eating it. It's, I mean, it's not doing nothing for me anymore. And so what I did was I decided to fill that up with the most I'd ever filled it up with. Shoot that in my veins. And it was so much and so strong that it began to pour out of my mouth and drip out of my nose. And my ears popped so loud that it knocked me on my knees. I was overdosing. Very thing that I told God when I was 11, you took my father that way, you're going to take me. What's happening to me at the age of 25? My father OD'd when he was 29. All of a sudden, I don't want to die, man. Fear has gripped my heart. I start crawling, making my way into the shower, turn on the cold water. I'm standing there, clothes and all. And for the first time in my life, I begin to cry out to God, the very God that I hated. I said, God, if you can change my life, if you can touch me the way you changed my mother, my mother got radically converted three years before me. I said, I'm so ready. I'm tired. Turn off the water, open the shower door, and I step out. The moment I step out, the phone rings. It's my mom. I said, uh, you know, I answered the phone. She's like, son, I don't know why I'm calling you, but I was wondering, would you go to church with me tomorrow? Now, I'm freaking out, man. I just finished praying in the shower. I'm like, 
He's real. He does hear. And out of shock, I said, yes. She says, I'll be there at 8.30 in the morning. I hang up the phone. I continue to party, continue to shoot up, continue to drink. I walk out at 8.30 in the morning, Sunday morning, four days without sleeping. I walk out. I had a quart of beer in my hand, bag of marijuana in my pocket. I used to shave my head bald at that time. Had a Fu Manchu or Billy Go beard that came down to here. But I used to jail, real pointy. You know, I, I, was all, I was all about intimidation. Got 32 tattoos all over my body. First one when I was 11. The last one when I was 19. Walk out, man, with that quart of beer. And I walk in her car, sit down. I said, let's go to church. I'm ready. <laughs> now, you got to understand, I've never been in church before in my life. She don't say anything. She takes me to church. We walk in. Never forget, man, I pulled up to that parking lot. I said, Mom, go inside. I'm going to finish my beer. I'm going to smoke a joint. I'll be inside in a little while. She don't say nothing. She goes inside. I finally get the nerve to come inside. I walk in. It's pretty similar to this. The only difference is the entire church was filled with nothing but black people. Now, I was brought up in the streets, man, with nothing but Chicanos. Went to jail 51 times, and in jail, you stick to your own kind. I didn't like white people. I didn't like black people. I didn't like, I don't, if you weren't Mexican, you weren't cool. Walk in that building, man. Everybody's black except for me and my mom. And I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, where in the heck did my mom bring me? <laughs> and as I'm thinking that, an usher comes and grabs my hand. And just to show you how angry I was at that time in my life, man, I turned around immediately. Picked them up off the ground, man. Slammed them on the wall. I said, you get your hands off of me. I'm going to knock your stinking teeth off. He's like, hey, you sit wherever you want, man. Nobody going to bother you here. It's like, este vato, man. I go over there, go sit down next to my mom. I said, if anybody else comes up to me, I'm going to knock their teeth out. She said, son, you're in church. Behavior. So I said, I don't care where I'm at, lady. I mean it. At that moment, song service begins. Now, again, I've never been in church. I'm talking to my mom, telling her nobody else better talk to me. And I look up to the song service leader and all of a sudden makes eye contact with me all the way to the back. And I just had this eerie feeling. And I said, oh, no. (laughs) And as I turn around to tell my mom, I mean it. If anybody comes up to me, you hear the mic go down, gets off the platform, never taking their eyes off of me, starts walking towards me all the way to the back. I said, that's it, man. Cock my chest. Close my fist. Moment they're close enough, they're going to lose their teeth. The only problem was that as they got closer and closer to me, I began to feel this overwhelming presence come over me. All of a sudden, I felt like crying. My head dropped. My hands dropped. And I began to weep like I hadn't wept since I lost my father when I was 11. And I just feel somebody grab my hand and say, son, today's your day. The Lord has need of you. Pick me up. Pick me up, walk me towards the altar, and begin to lead me in a sinner's prayer. And halfway through the prayer, now remember, I've, I've never been in church before. I don't know nothing about tongues. I don't know nothing about anything. And halfway through the prayer, I didn't even finish the sinner's prayer. I bust out in tongues. I get filled with the Holy Ghost. Shanda Shanda. I mean, loud, man. My hands are shaking. Listen. Every person in that church jumped up. Some were standing in their seats. They were, listen, they thought the devil got saved that morning, man. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever seen black people praise God, but they can praise God, man. They were shouting. They were jumping. They were, 
I mean, June 13, 1995, that day was. Walked out of that place sober. Never again to touch drugs. I didn't need rehab. I didn't need programs. I didn't need a psychiatrist. All I had to do was bow my knee to Jesus that morning. He said, let us reason. He took my sin and he gave me a new life. Gave me a new life. That's what the power of God can do this morning. Listen to this. It costs more to redeem us than to create us. In creation, it was but speaking a word. In redemption, there was shedding of blood. Creation was the work of God's finger. Redemption was the work of his arms. In creation, God gave us ourselves. In in redemption, he gave us himself. By creation, we have life in Adam. By redemption, we have life in Christ. I want to read you this story, and then we're going to pray. This is a testimony from a Muslim there in uh, in the London church. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Muslims. They're uh, in, in London, they're radicals, man. They're everywhere. They push themselves. They bully people. They're fully dressed. And one thing about Muslims is they will not come into a Pentecostal church or a Christian church. In that revival, some of them came in. This is one of them. Listen to this. It says, I am 30 years old and have been abusing drugs since the age of 14. It started with cannabis and then went on to heroin and crack cocaine. I was born into a Muslim family. My mother converted to Christianity 10 years ago, and me and my brother and sister came to the Lord five years ago. I've committed many crimes to feed my drug addiction and have been to prison seven times since. However, I never managed to stay free from drugs. When I was released from prison, I have now been out of prison for exactly one year, and was battling drugs until I came to church on January 14, 2007, was prayed on by Roman Gutierrez, and also heard his testimony. It was very powerful, and it gave me the strength to go through the withdrawal symptoms from drugs and also to continue staying off drugs. I know the Lord has plans for me, and with the Lord's help, I'll continue to obey his word. Pastor Gutierrez has been an incredible influence to me, That no matter who you are or what you've done, uh, the Lord can help you and transform your life. It's been. He's been there a month now. Radically serving God. I keep in touch with him through email. Listen, if God can touch a Muslim, how much more can he touch you this morning? And the only thing he wants is he wants to reason with you. All he wants is your sin. He don't want to blame you. He don't want to bring up your past. He's not like man. He doesn't break his promise. All he wants is your sin. Let's bow our heads this morning in the presence of God. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.